Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Lancet Digital Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lucy Dunbar, a senior editor at The Journal, and today I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Andrew Sultan, a specialty registrar in medical oncology and fellow in clinical artificial intelligence at the University of Oxford. And he'll be chatting to us today about his team's research on the development, testing and deployment of a federated learning system across four UK hospitals. Their study will be published in our February 2024 issue and online. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us to talk about your research today. I wonder if you can start by explaining your group's inspiration for the study and specifically what problems you saw that you thought you might be able to address with your group's research. Thank you, Lucy. It's lovely to see you again. We, first of all, back in 2020, when faced with the COVID pandemic, looked at whether we could build AI models that can help us tell which patients have got COVID or not in the emergency department more quickly. And in the first few months of the pandemic, it was at that time taking sometimes two or three days to get a PCR test result. And we wanted to see whether we could use the data routinely collected in hospital to develop a test that gave you an answer much sooner, perhaps in the first couple of hours of admission when decisions were more critical. And in 2020, we went on to develop that test and we also went on to validate it. But one of the things we observed when developing the test is that actually to build a good AI model, ideally you would have access to diverse training data from multiple centers. A, to give you better performance just from there being more data and B, to improve diversity in the model and so to give you better coverage of the population and improve fairness. And we found it despite having all of the right approvals in place and the ethic approval, that it was still quite tricky to persuade hospitals to share data with us. And rightly, hospitals should be protective of patient data. It's important that they are. But one of the questions we went on to ask after the pandemic and after that piece of work is, can we look at finding a way or deploying a way to train and to develop AI models, but without moving the data? Because if you can do that, then you can get all of the benefits of diversely trained AI models, but without the risks and without the drawbacks that that you'd see. And that was really the inspiration behind the study. And we had seen that other groups had published some really brilliant work around a new emerging technique called federated learning. That technique is all about rather than bring all of the data to the model, can you bring the models to the data and then train the models locally? But despite this technique now having matured, it was on everybody's smartphone in the in 2020 and 2021 it hadn't really made it into medical practice. There had been a couple of key papers, one by Itai Diane, in particular in Nature Medicine in 2021, but we hadn't really seen widespread uptake of federated learning in medical AI. And we wondered whether part of the reason for that was just that it was technically difficult to implement. And so our study was looking at, can we develop a way for hospitals to take part in federated learning and to train models without moving the data and in a way that didn't need them to have an expert in federated learning on site? So I think you've really nicely described federated learning there. Um, But I wonder if you can describe the specific methodology um, that you employed in your study and then perhaps break down the most important results of your study for us. Um, In the study, we wanted to build a system that was easy to use and could be scaled up across hospitals very quickly that performed federated learning. And we wanted to show a real world use case of that across four hospitals. So we built code that allowed hospitals to take part in federated learning. We made it easy to use and we installed it on these very cheap devices called Raspberry Pis. And they're small microcomputing devices that were initially designed by a Cambridge charity to get young people into computing and into programming. And we then 
set those up so they were very easy to use and posted them out to four hospitals. The four hospitals were Oxford University Hospitals, NHS Foundation Trust, where I work, Bedfordshire Hospitals, Portsmouth Hospitals University Trust, and also our collaborators in Birmingham, University Hospitals Birmingham. And we set it up so that hospitals would perform an extraction of data from their electronic health record according to criteria that we would set out in advance. And then they would be able to load that extract onto the Raspberry Pi and follow some very straightforward instructions on the device to take part in the federated learning study. That sounds really great. Thank you for going into a bit more detail there. So I'm wondering about the the clinical implications of this and perhaps a bit more widely, who do you imagine will benefit from your research? I'm really hopeful that federated learning will mean that we'll be able to train more AI models that are better and are fairer. And that will be possible because federated learning helps deal with one of the biggest issues in health data, which is making sure data is kept confidential and kept secure. Patients are rightly concerned about how their data is used and hospitals are rightly entrusted to safeguard it. And federated learning is a a middle ground. Um, It's one of a group of technologies evolving that are called privacy preserving or privacy enhancing technologies. Um, And the hope is that as we refine these methods and as it as we're able to develop models while preserving privacy, we'll be able to onboard more hospitals and more hospitals will be willing to take part. And in doing so, training sets for models can become more diverse and therefore models might start to show fewer signs of bias, particularly amongst minority groups who are less well represented in data sets. And one of my colleagues, Dr. David Wen, has done some work looking at the representation of patients in skin cancer data sets. Perhaps a technology like this, which allows more centres and more sites to participate, might mean that we can see more um, representation and fairer data sets. And the implications of that would be that we may start to... This could be one of a number of technologies that sees more AI models come through the pipeline and more AI models make it into clinical practice and dealing with some of the concerns that people rightly raise around bias in models. Mm, Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And uh, I wanted to touch on the fact that your your paper uses or involved four different um, hospital settings within the UK. So is there the potential to use this tool, um, the Raspberry Pi, to use federated learning um, outside of the UK? Um, that's a fantastic question. And federated learning is one of the technologies that perhaps is best placed to bridge the international gap. Now, could, there is a lot of work in the UK around trying to create secure havens where data is stored and processed. And that that will be a fantastic resource as it comes online for UK data. But some countries elsewhere in the world have got rules around data leaving leaving the country's borders. For example, China prohibits the export of medical data from Chinese servers. And technologies like federated learning might allow for models to be trained incorporating data from countries that don't allow data to be moved out of the country while respecting the laws of the land. And again, this might help in increasing representation in training sets and as a result, make for fairer models. Yeah, again, I think a really nice point because it's so important to make sure that the tools that are being used across different healthcare settings are trained on data that is not biased, data that is diverse, so that everyone is represented fairly. So we've talked about the hurdles there for for implementation, perhaps outside of the UK. I wonder about any limitations that are specific to your study. Obviously, there were lots of advantages, the fact that you were able to involve different, different hospital trusts. Were there any limitations that you saw? Was there anything that cropped up while you were doing the study that you feel you maybe could have done differently now that you were looking back on the study? Mm -hmm. 
I think that that's a really important question. There are some limitations which are specific to our study, and there are some limitations that more generally apply to the field of federated learning and are areas of active and of feature development. Specific to our study, we chose to use the Raspberry Pi as our as our hardware to run the models and to, to perform federated learning. That has some advantages in that it's very cheap. It costs between 45 and 85 pounds, and so it's very quick and it's commercially available, so scale can come quickly. But it is a low-powered device, and for the kind of work we're doing, which is working with tabular data, it does the job very well, and it's fantastic for that application. But if we were to look at much more computationally intensive tasks, like looking at images, or looking at sequences of images, or stacks of images, like you might with CT scans or with MRI scans, then you'd need considerably more computing power. Our work can be adapted for that readily, and the code we've developed could be adapted to run on more powerful hardware, but of course that comes with higher cost. So that's one of the considerations. Another also is that when you're designing, when you're performing federated learning, you do need to have some idea of what shape the data takes or what structure the data's in. Now, we tried to tackle that by saying to hospitals when they extracted data that we here is a specification against which we would like the data to be extracted. And then in our code pipeline, we reinforced those criteria just to make sure nothing had slipped through the net. But that requires a certain element of standardization, which in the UK with the sorts of data we were using is fine. But if you're looking across borders, it may be that different areas do um, perform slightly different blood tests or perform slightly different imaging. And there would need to be some sort of knowledge of what the data types are and what missing data looks like um, for you to be able to handle that. Um, now, there are some pieces of work that are potentially tackling that. One of my colleagues, um, Dr. Angel Tacker in Oxford, is doing some work around performing federated learning where different centers actually have different data and still trying to get benefit from those different data sets. There's also some good work being done around differential privacy and synthetic data, which might potentially allow for a synthetic data set to be sent back to the center, which doesn't contain any real data, but tells you what the data looks like and tells you a little bit about its distribution so you can prepare that. What we've seen is that at the moment, federated learning is very good to train models if you know what you're trying to do or what you're trying to achieve, but it's slightly more difficult to do exploratory or blue skies analysis with federated learning. So if, so if you don't know what you're trying to train, if you're looking for trends de novo in the data, it's a bit more tricky. Yeah, thank you. I think from this conversation, there are many different avenues that your your research could take. We've talked about taking federated learning outside of the UK. We've talked about using different types of data sets, for example, images, perhaps videos. And I think that there's potential to use federated learning outside the context of COVID-19 research in infectious diseases. There's a lot that, that you can do with that. I wonder, what is your absolute priority? What is the next thing that you're looking to do in relation to federated learning? I think it's really important to mention some of the brilliant work that others are doing. One of the very, in fact, the first medical federated learning piece was by a gentleman called Atai Diane, who at the time was working for NVIDIA. And they showed across 20 hospitals that you can use imaging to perform federated learning. And Itai Diane has since gone on to found a company called Rhino Health. And as that technology matures, Rhino Health will hopefully help put this into practice and across a network of hospitals, potentially internationally. And similarly, we, there's a company in Cambridge called Bitfound, which is doing work along similar lines of trying to develop mature federated learning platforms that are ready to roll out into hospitals and start to establish networks of hospitals on a federated learning platform. I think 
The second thing that is important in the field will be to see regulatory bodies until now have wanted models not to be updating models. The paradigm has been that you have a model that is ready to evaluate, you evaluate it, and so you know how it behaves in a clinical trial, and then that data is reviewed by regulators and the algorithm can be approved or not approved. But with technologies like federated learning, there'll be more and more of a shift towards continual learning algorithms, where as new data comes in and new hospitals come on board, you'll want to update the model to see if you can make the model better. And that will also mean a change in how we evaluate and monitor the quality of models. And there's a regulatory challenge there as well as an evaluation challenge that will come as the technology takes off. I think the other thing that we would like to, that we will work on with this piece is trying to build an integration directly to the electronic health records. With this particular piece, we asked hospitals to do an extraction from their system and then load the extract onto the Raspberry Pi. But if you can have direct integration into the electronic record system, that would allow a group of researchers who are entrusted and who have ethical clearance to put forward proposals for new ideas and for new projects. And once you've established that infrastructure, you can say, we're going to study a different question. And then without needing to change the micro SD card, which is the storage card on the Raspberry Pi, you'd be able to ask that different question at no new cost. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting space to be working on right now. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of research your group and other groups are going to be able to do. We'll finish there for today. That's everything that we can cover. So thank you very much again for joining us, Andrew. Um, it's been really great to talk about your research. And as a reminder, you can find Andrew and his co-author study in the February 2024 issue of The Lancet Digital Health. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope that you can join us next time. Bye.